Hey, it's Bao, and this is Coffee with Bao, where I chat with awesome people about their creative process, their cultural identity, and how they're continuing to grow as a human being. You can find all of my past guests uh, or get in touch with me at coffeewithbao.com. Um, I'm really excited about my guest today. I'm hanging out with a fellow Vietnamese American artist. He's an illustrator, cartoonist, a humor writer. His art has been in books and board games and publications like The Nib, The Guardian, Time Out New York, BuzzFeed, Wired, and recently he's been a cartoonist for The New Yorker. So fancy. <laughs> so here's my <laughs> new friend from Brooklyn, Jeremy Nguyen. Ah! Hello. Hi, Bao. How hey. are you doing? You I'm know, doing I think great. we might have the same chair. This uh, knockoff um, management yes, chair? Yes, knockoff like Herman Miller thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for joining me, Jeremy. <laughs> I um, noticed as you were swiveling around. You're in Brooklyn, and your online presence talks a lot about Brooklyn, so I, I feel like you're, you're like the mayor of Brooklyn. Is that true? <laughs> No, <laughs> definitely not a political figure here. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I love Brooklyn. Um, I was, I'm not born in Brooklyn, but uh, I was born in uh, Oakland, California. Uh, I was raised in Oakland, California. Um, so I don't really claim Brooklyn as, as my, you know, uh, a breeding ground, but I, you know, <laughs> it's now my home. I've been here for about 10 years, so I'm happy cool. to call it home. Yeah. Um, you actually were not born in Oakland though, right? You were born in Phoenix from what I read? Phoenix, Arizona. I barely have any memory of it. I moved yeah. out of Phoenix when I was about three or four to Portland, Oregon. Um, my dad worked at IBM in a little town called Aloha, Oregon, just outside of Portland. Aloha. Um, yeah, I was there for, <laughs> you know, maybe kindergarten, first grade, and then, um, we moved to uh, Bangkok, Thailand for like a year. Yes. Um, and then my parents moved us back to the States. We were in Austin, Texas for a year, but we finally settled down in Fremont, California. Um, and I went to school in Hayward. Um, nice. But yeah, yeah. Lots of Asians in the Bay Area. <laughs> you know, like I was born in Vietnam. I grew up in Orange County here in Southern California. And then I oh, moved okay. to Houston as a teenager. And I feel like getting out of your element a little bit really influenced the way that I think about, you know, um, being more open-minded about everything. And oh, yeah. I wonder how you see moving around and especially like internationally affecting the way that you are now. Yeah, it's, it's, quite interesting you know whenever i speak to fellow asian creatives or you know asian people who grew mm. up in the midwest around a ton of white people i don't know if i really uh relate as much to it um there were definitely you know white people when i was growing up in oregon but yep. when I moved to Thailand, there were a lot of Korean students at this international English-speaking school in Bangkok. Mm. Um, and then uh, I lived in the Bay Area where there's a ton of Asian Americans. My school was mostly dominantly Filipino-American. And oh, wow. yeah, I feel so lucky to have grown up around, you know, 80% Asian students at my schools because it just like... <laughs> it just took away any of that feeling outside of your comfort zone and having to assimilate to a specific culture. It's kind of funny. The Filipino kids that I went to school with, they all wish they were black. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, so that's like an, another wrinkle to this, the, the, the diaspora um, that I don't know how that changes the way I was brought up. But, you know, we were very influenced by hip hop culture and yeah. what was happening in Oakland at the time. And, you know, there was a huge music scene growing up. So um, I think it being around all Asians allowed me to build confidence and 
um, not feel as if I was having to assimilate to another culture. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Is, are your parents like first generation? Uh, they're first generation. They're refugees. Um, they escaped the Vietnam War back when they were teenagers. Um, and wow. they settled in Nebraska. They were like the only two Vietnamese <laughs> wow. families in Omaha. And, you know, I only learned recently that my uncle on my dad's side once dated my aunt on my mom's side. Um, when I was growing <laughs> up, I thought they were just separate relatives. But like maybe in, in the past couple of years, I found out how integrated my two families were and that they all, you know, all my uncles and aunts on this side knew all my uncles and aunts on that side. Um, <laughs> it was strange, but my mom talks about how she and her sisters worked at like the local Nebraska drive-in movie theater. And that's, wow. I think, probably where my dad met her and they started dating. And yeah, it was kind of kind of funny that, you know, the typical story is that it's a, a couple moves to America together, uh, bringing their kids or have, giving birth to their kids here. But it was kind of funny that my parents grew up a little bit American in their teenage years. Um, yeah. And, you know, they went to prom. They went to prom with white people. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then they found each other, I guess. That's really cool. Um, mm -hmm. When you guys were growing up, how did how did you practice being Vietnamese? Like, what were some things that your family did that, you know, specifically made you feel like, all right, I'm preserving my Vietnamese-ness? Oh, I think I'm going to disappoint you there. <laughs> um, I think I kind of rejected being Vietnamese when I was a oh, kid. This is, just cause, this is juicy stuff. Yeah. I want to know. <laughs> I know this is going to be awful to say out loud, but my parents uh, moved us to California because I did have a lot more family in Alameda County. You know, my mm -hmm. grandma lives in Fountain Valley, Orange County, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they wanted us to be like my cousins who were fully uh, Californian. They were born and bred uh, Californians in San Jose. Wow. Um, and they went to like Vietnamese church. They did Vietnamese Girl Scouts. And my parents really wanted us, my, me, myself and my brother, to join Vietnamese Boy Scouts and go to Vietnamese church, even yeah. though they never taught us the language. Um, when I, They tell me that when I was four or five years old, that I spoke exclusively Vietnamese and wow. they had to enroll me in a, a Head Start <laughs> program. So a Head Start program before preschool. So it's pre-preschool for yeah. um, children. I went there too, actually. Oh, did you? No kidding. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's because, you know, I had the Asian speech impediment of replacing my R's with L's or L's with R's, I forget. <laughs> and I would only speak Vietnamese to the teachers. Um, wow. So they kind of beat, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they kind of had to beat that out of me. And I guess I never went back. I don't really speak Vietnamese anymore. <laughs> wow, interesting. Yeah. So your middle so, name is, is Vu, right? And um, Right. Do, is that what your family calls you? They do not call me Vu. Uh, I, my nickname is uh, me, as in like bun me, because I eat a lot of <laughs> bread and stuff. And so it also goes well because my name is Jeremy, so they call me Jeremy. Um, oh, okay. my, yeah. And my brother's name is Christopher, so they call him Christopher. Um, so <laughs> they re they refer to us as bun me. That's great. From what I read, your your father was like a scientist, like a he worked on microchips or something. Yes, he was a semiconductor at IBM. Um, he has mm -hmm. some sort of patent in uh, the semi uh, microchip developing process. Um, wow. And my mom, my mom actually didn't finish college when she and my dad got married, but she yeah. has been a tailor and a seamstress and um, many other jobs, but she eventually got 
her degree in um, uh, medicine and became a pharmacist, ph- pharmacology, I guess. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, my dad had bounced around to different tech companies. Um, yeah. You know, there was a microchip factory or a company that he worked at in Thailand, and that's why we moved there when mm-hmm. IBM crashed in the 90s. Yeah, and then we moved back to the States when that business went under, uh, and he was um, he was like a traveling, I don't know what he did when we were in Texas, <laughs> but he wasn't home a lot because he had to fly around for business. I remember that being sucking. Um, yeah. Then he found well, some the- work in tech here in California. Yeah. The reason I ask is um, you mentioned in a, another interview that you've always known that you were like an artist and that's what you wanted to do. Um, and your parents definitely, you know, didn't work in that field at all. So I'm curious as to like how and when you kind of like solidified that idea that like art is my thing. Yeah. So, you know, my mom does have a creative side as someone who like sews clothing and, Mm. you know, she'll design her own clothing too and sketch out some things. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I always drew as a kid. My brother and I would come up with ridiculous superheroes and um, (laughs) I was a big Lego uh, maniac, as they said back in the day. Lego Lego maniac. maniac. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, those commercials would drive my mom crazy because I would those. sing them all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I was always a creative, art-loving, drawing person. And, you know, my parents were the typical go-get-your-engineering-or-doctor's degrees. Yeah. Uh, once, once, once I think they learned of what law is, they asked that they were like, you guys should become lawyers. Um, wow. Yeah, but my dad had always, um, you know, I think he was the youngest of his family. And his father, my grandfather, was a surgeon back in Vietnam. Mm. And my grandfather had always pushed my dad to go into chemistry and maybe be a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, and my dad rejected being a doctor himself. I kind of feel like I followed in my dad's footsteps of rejecting (laughs) medicine completely. (laughs) It's Um, funny to me how previous generations have a certain image of what's considered work. And then like always the next generation has a a totally different concept. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm part of a generation that doesn't want kids. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Man, me and you uh, are... We got a lot of similarities. Absolutely. Oh. So, you know, I don't know. And when I think about if I did want kids, would I be pushing them towards the arts? Would I be pushing them towards making money? Would they see my life and be like, I should be making money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're wow. like, mm, dad, my, my, my artist dad can't afford the PS6. So I'm going <laughs> to go into law and make some money. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, huh? <laughs> right? Yeah. Who knows? Um, which Academy of Art did you attend f- before you went to um, Savannah College of Art and Design? Yeah. So I took high school classes um, at the San Francisco Academy of Art. Um, nice. Uh, they, they offered like high school programs that were uh, college transferable. You can earn a credit for every summer course you take which was awesome. Um, And I had some fantastic teachers. Uh, I met um, Derek Kirk Kim, who is a graphic novelist. And now he's like a story editor, story supervisor, producer for Cartoon Network and other kids shows. And then another teacher that I'm still in contact with was uh, another Asian American person named Walden Wong. He's a award-winning inker for Marvel and DC Comics. And yeah, it was, it's, it's so great to have those two Asian American role models at a yeah. very young age doing what I want to be doing. They would go to all the uh, San Francisco comic conventions and 
Um, Just having them be in my life was, you know, form fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So eventually you move out to Georgia, Savannah College of Art and Design. You're actually the second guest that went to SCAD. Um, No kidding. Benny Mitchell was a previous guest and and he did did some film and stuff there. Uh, But then you started working for this comicsology which um that leads me to think like you were like really focused on the whole comic thing absolutely yes no i was uh, <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> no i was i was very lucky to uh get to study comics when i was in savannah georgia and at scad a lot of the upperclassmen that i had went to school with they graduated in 2008 2009 during the housing crisis crash economic Mm. destruction that happened. And I was lucky enough to not have graduated two years prior to when I actually did in 2011. As I I was in college, I was watching their careers um, or lack thereof, sadly. And (laughs) it really absolutely propelled me to work my ass off to try and get any comics job that I could. And, you know, a lot of my classmates, a few of my classmates did very well when they graduated. They got uh, freelance work out the gate. People from other majors were working at Naughty Dog Studios and making video games or getting jobs at DreamWorks and Disney. But as a cartoonist, as a comics artist, there weren't as many opportunities. So I was very Mm. lucky to be able to find uh, a full-time, it well started out part-time, became full-time very quickly at Comixology, who, you know, they were scaling up. And, um, you know, when I first started there, there were maybe 30 employees. And then in the first year I was there, they had hired 100. Wow. yeah, so I was able to actually bring on a couple of my classmates in as my coworkers, as yeah. well as work on a team with other cartoonists from SVA and uh, CCS Cartooning School in Vermont and RISD and Pratt and Parsons, all these New York art schools that I was jealous mm-hmm. of. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of opportunities, but this place was able to pluck some of us up and give us a life in New York. That's so cool. You ended up freelancing for a few places. Thrillist was one of them. Um, you started your own Stranger Than Bushwick <laughs> comic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Illustrated some books. Um, board games. Was that a weird process? Like, I don't know very many people who work on board game art. Uh, board games was, uh, it fell into my lap because, um, you know, I never really got, my, my brother is a big player of board games. I'm terrible at any games, but yeah, I love, uh, the gaming world and, uh, board game art is, you know, uh, a thriving, um, industry right now. And it's, they have so many gorgeous, gorgeous games out there. But um, what got me into them was that my best friend from college uh, graduated with an animation degree. He moved out to L.A., worked in the animation industry and hated it. He hated doing, you know, lighting pretty actors' faces. That's pretty much his job. (laughs) So he developed uh, a game called Cat Lady that got bought by a board game company called AEG. And they hired him to be an art director for a few of their other titles coming out. Mm. And then when he, uh, he pitched his follow-up game, his, his second game to Alderock Entertainment Group, he asked me to come on board and illustrate it. So we did a nice. game about Santa Monica. Um, and I flew out to uh, see him in Santa Monica. We, we stayed at the, um, the Alderock Entertainment Group's headquarters. Nice. For seven days, and we just we ate, drank, and slept Santa Monica for wow. twenty four hours, seven days a week. I'm drawing. He's play testing with some testers. 
and uh, we got to hang out like it was college again. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. Awesome. We took some pictures down on the boardwalk and integrated a lot of the jokes that we were making with each other into the game. And it's, it's uh, one of my proudest pieces because it just reflects so much of our relationship into, uh, uh, yeah. into this game that millions, maybe, maybe not millions, but thousands of people play. That's so cool. Um, that's a, actually a, like a, a interesting niche venue for your art. And um, like I said, I don't know very many people who work in board game art. So I thought that was such a, a cool part of your career so far. <clears throat> yeah, I love to do like weird mediums. You know, I want my career to be as unpredictable and surprising as possible because it's such a fun thing to be an artist for all kinds of people and not mm. just a single audience. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm very happy with where I'm at with uh, uh, the New Yorker, but they only reach a certain amount of people and a certain yeah. type of person. So doing board games has been, uh, has been super eye opening and I absolutely love the community that is the board game community. Nice. Um, I guess late 2010, 2017, you started, somebody introduced you to the New Yorker and you started submitting stuff to them and, um, yeah, mm -hmm. eventually they published some stuff and you, you've been going strong, man. I, <laughs> I see your Thank New Yorker you. comics all the time and I, I absolutely love them. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, did you, does the New Yorker's format require you to like change your style or your process in any way? Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't say that they do. They don't require it, but I personally changed my workflow to fit better with uh, submitting cartoons to them. Mm. Um, yeah, some, some people notice that my style looks different for the New Yorker than it does for other projects. Uh, and that is, uh, for me, deliberate. I wanted to choose a style that is a bit more economical for me to... Mm pitch 10 cartoons a week to the New Yorker. Wow. Uh, but I'm also a big lover of classic New Yorker cartoons. Uh, my favorite eras are, you know, the 1960s and 1970s um, New Yorker cartoons. I also love, you know, the last decade of great cartoons. <laughs> mm. But the 60s and 70s have a lot of great style to them. You know, that Mad Men era of uh, the, yeah. the New Yorker and magazines um, was such a fun time. So I tried to evoke a nostalgic style mm. as well as a classic style, but giving it a modern flair, a modern flavor to it. Uh, when I started out, I showed a, uh, a stranger my cartoons and um, I had only published maybe two or three cartoons. And this person, I don't know how educated on the New Yorker cartoon history they were, but they were like, oh, oh, you're a, you're like a, you're like a New Yorker cartoonist. I, I think he was confused because <laughs> I was like young looking and he was like, huh, looking at the cartoon as if, have you been doing this for like 50 years? <laughs> Your cartoons <laughs> look like they might have been in the magazine. Uh, before I was born. So yeah, I, uh, it was a very <laughs> funny moment. And I was like, nah, I'm just trying to pretend as if these cartoons could be in the era. That is hilarious. <laughs> uh, I saw recently on your social media, you were offering mentorship opportunities, which I thought was super cool um, to other illustrators. Yes. And um, you plan on doing like a talk as well in the near future in a couple of days from when this episode airs. Um, can you give us right. like your elevator pitch on, on the, on the talk, the talk? <laughs> yeah. So the mentorship is something that I had wanted to uh, offer during last year's upswell for the black lives matters movement. Mm. There were a lot of talks of people wanting to extend their hands out to marginalized communities. And, you know, last year, I was just not in a great place to offer that as much as I wanted to. I was in the middle of 
moving apartments and I wasn't even close to being financially stable enough to take time out of my work week to offer this. Um, So after a year of mulling it over, um, I sort of found myself in a, in a, in a spot where I could. Mm. So I sort of instinctually was like, I'm just going to jump into it and figure it out as I go. You know, I'm 31 and I've only been freelancing for about four years. So I Mm. don't really know if I'm an expert enough to offer a mentorship, but I wanted to do something and I wanted to do something just to help as much as I can. Um, it. So it was cool. incredible to see the application process because I received so many incredible statements of intent from mm. all across the world. Or literally, there are some incredible artists everywhere. You know, it, there was almost a hundred applicants. It was so hard to <laughs> find the one or two people that I could work with. Um, because so many of them were so talented. So the, uh, so, so I'm offering a, a one-time um, seminar to all of those applicants as well as the general public. And I've teamed up with this fantastic company called Creatively who mm. wanted to uh, help out and, you know, give me the uh, uh, resources to do that. And awesome. so I'm very excited. It's going to be a talk that's very geared towards um, people who are lost as artists and don't know uh, their first step, their next step, um, you know, because there are a lot of lost artists out there and mm-hmm. there's seems to be something missing from the academic world of art schools that these artists are not getting. And part of my mission is to try and give a raw conversation and lecture about what the realities of the industry are. Awesome. Um, uh, it, it takes place on May 20th, and there will be more details about it on May 12th. Um, so it is going to happen, like, very fast. Yeah. And hopefully we can get the word out uh, about this this amazing uh uh, opportunity that I hope turns out to be amazing for these cool artists. Let me point you guys to the right place. You know what? Before this conversation, <laughs> Drop the link below. <laughs> yeah. Before this conversation, yeah. I went and grabbed some of your art from your website, and it, so that I can show people uh, some of the stuff that you work on, and then give them the link. Um, this is one of Jeremy's board games, Inner Compass. Um, so you'll see his his style here one of his styles. I think this is one of Jeremy's most iconic pieces. New York City will never die. Throwing a bagel at death. <laughs> here's, here's a few more that are color. Um, this one says completely riveted Asians. I checked the date on it. It was August 2019, uh, which um, was when Crazy Rich Asians came out. So connect the dots. Um, and then for me, having worked in a few marketing and ad agencies the and, and startups also, um, the flat design people, <laughs> I can resonate with that. And, and this one is just so funny because the dude is regular and he's looking at all these flat people. Uh, Three dates were fun, but if you want to see more, subscribe to my OnlyFans. Speaking of everywhere, like... <laughs> What I gravitate toward with Jeremy's work is like it's witty, it's like multi-layered humor. It's it's not like a one-liner or anything, you know. Um, this is my one of my favorite top pieces. Next time, use cold water. <laughs> They're like a f- most of them are very like specific to uh, you know something current happening, but this one's just in general like stupid funny. Um, which is totally my style. So Jeremy is giving a talk on May 20th with the company Creatively. Um, That's like an employment website for creatives. Uh, The talk is called, What the Fuck Do I Do? (laughs) You can find uh, Jeremy and find info about the event on his website, jeremywinslife.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-W-I-N-S 
life, L-I-F-E dot com. Let's take a little break. Let's get back to the show. Uh, Jeremy, like, you know how we were talking about Asian American comic book art, uh, idols earlier? Um, right. When I was a teenager or like in, in elementary school, I discovered Jim Lee's art, comic book <laughs> art. And I was like riveted, right? It was so dynamic, super creative, and just, it was perfect. And um, I didn't know he was Asian until like several <laughs> months later when I was flipping through the Wizard magazine. Um, and I was like, whoa, this dude's Asian. Like, because I was a drawer too. Like, I, I had a talent for drawing as a kid. And I was like, this dude is Asian. I can do this for a job too. Like, I can be a professional <laughs> artist. And so it meant so much to me to discover this, like, that one of my art idols was like an Asian American and that it's not exclusively, like, for white guys, right? Um, yeah, so that Jim was super Lee cool. is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's funny, others, yeah. So we see so many Lee last names and we're like, Stan Lee is Stan Lee, exactly. <laughs> and then you see Jim Lee and you're like, is that Stan Lee's son? Of course exactly. he's not going to be Asian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Jim so Lee's the reason I tell that story... The reason I tell that story is I discovered your work maybe like two years ago, a year and a half to two years ago. And at first I didn't pay attention to the signature. And then one day I was like, whoa, this dude says Nguyen. This dude is Vietnamese. What? <laughs> and it meant so much to me to like be able to relate to an artist whose work I really, really liked and then be like, whoa, they're also Vietnamese. That's so cool. Um, so that you. was I'm, I'm so why your you stuff resonated. Thank you. Yeah. No. Uh, so I do, I do want to talk about my signature, actually. You know, I deliberately chose to show my last name. Some of my colleagues, they do first names. A lot of the other artists do a first initial and a last name. Mm. And I went the direction of the first initial with last name because I really wanted to put Nguyen into the pages of The New Yorker. Um, so I also awesome. really... Uh, thanks. Yeah. And I really also like to connect my name to the artwork itself. Um, a mm. lot of cartoons will feature the curl at the end of the N leading into a line in the drawing. Mm. Um, and I do that just because I want to maybe uh, subtly tell readers that the artwork is an extension of myself. And wow. I'm not just like a separate um, entity from the artwork. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy that Nguyen caught your eye. Um, I picked as it up. A, as I an was Asian so stoked. <laughs> yeah, Thank and specifically awesome. a Vietnamese last name too. Um, I mm. feel like you know Southeast Asian representation um, recently has gotten a little more prominent, but um, I still crave that, you know. And um, so it meant a lot to me. Uh, there's an awesome video on the New Yorker website called How to Draw a City, in which you break down the construction of your drawings technically and like tell people where you lay stuff out. Um, but you also mentioned that you write first and draw after, and you write a lot and, and think a lot about these concepts. Um, long, long setup, but <laughs> my question for you is like, what, what's the process or the challenge of distilling all of these thoughts and concepts into just a single panel of comic? Yeah, so uh, being a writer first uh, and an artist second, I think is, is kind of common with New Yorker cartoons, mm. but I also might have misspoke when I said that because these days, I feel like an artist first, writer second. It changes. It, it, it there's always this. It's always like, am I a writer or am I an artist? Um, it it always it switches back and forth all the time. Um, and right now, I feel like an illustrator first, and my writing is sucking. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yes, for the cartoons, I definitely write first a majority of the time, just because it's like you know, I don't want to jump into drawing something if the foundations of a good joke isn't there. So <laughs> I have to sit down and really work hard at writing. But I know a lot of my colleagues who are literally uh, professional writers who also draw. Um, mm. 
they come up with jokes like that, it feels like at least, uh, and they're so quick to it. And then mm. they're like, uh, hey, Jeremy, how do you draw this in perspective? <laughs> how do you draw this guy's arm? And I'm sitting there like, how did you come up with that amazing joke? I'm, yeah. I'm jealous. You know, so there is a, a funny uh, dynamic between uh, the writer side and the artist side, and then cartoonists who are writer first, artists yeah. first. Um, yeah, so, so the process changes all the time, but generally Ooh. I try and find a good joke before I do the art. That's probably not a very easy <laughs> job. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you have to be very clear and make sure that every piece of information is getting communicated um, quickly and easily by anyone. You know, going back to what talking about style, that was kind of a deliberate choice to come up with this mm. very clean, simple, very easily digestible, not too much details um, surrounding yeah. the art. You know, I used to do stand-up and that's kind of what stand-up is. You don't want to have too much fluff too much. in order to get to the punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes a, uh, they call it a shaggy dog. And you don't want too much of a shaggy dog uh, in your joke. That's my quarantine hair, shaggy bow. <laughs> <laughs> so before the pandemic shut stuff down, you worked on this. You organized a show of all the Asian American artists that contribute to the New Yorker comics called Asian Babies. <laughs> mm -hmm. what, what made you feel like that was the moment where you wanted to celebrate the Asian New Yorker artists? Um, yeah, so there were some fantastic shows that I've seen uh, leading up to that point. There was a funny ladies cartoon show at the Society of Illustrators. And um, fantastic show, a ton of, uh, of the New Yorker cartoonist women um, came came out to attend the show to speak on panels, and I loved it. It was uh, mm. it was a sold out show. There were people who couldn't get into the uh, to the panel discussions, and I visited a friend of mine who had a gallery show at Pearl River Mart. Her name is Ding Ding Hu, <laughs> Ding Ding and she's she's a fantastic illustrator, but. She had an amazing debut show at Pearl River Mart where I got to meet mm. the store owner, Joanne Kwong. She pitched this idea of doing a show in this uh, loft space that they have specifically for Asian artists. Mm. Um, and this was around 2018, and I didn't feel like I could do a solo show at that point in my life. So I teamed up with um, my colleague Amy Huang to curate a show of all the Asian New Yorker cartoonists who had been published up until that point. And mm. it's kind of crazy, you know, the New Yorker magazine has been around since about 1925. They're coming up on their 100-year anniversary or so. And in their almost 100 years, they've only had 10 Asian cartoonists. Wow. And that we know of. Wow. Um, yeah. And Amy, Amy, my colleague, is maybe the second <laughs> who has wow. been published. Yeah, I might be the fourth or fifth. Um, and you know, there had there were ten other Asian cartoonists that we uh, that we asked to contribute cartoons for this show, and there was also an Asian American um, cartoonist from the who had a one cartoon published in the 1960s. We reached out to his family and they sent, uh, they were very happy to send his cartoons to us. Um, That's so and, cool. And you know, it's amazing, it's amazing. He had a baby photo of him sent that was taken in 1920 as well. Wow. Um, we, we got a print <laughs> of it, not the actual photo, but we had a reproduction of the, the photo. So that was an, a 100 year old photo that was wow. amazing to have in our gallery. Yeah, it was great. It was great to correspond with all of my colleagues and give them a platform to have their work shown in a gallery space like that. I, I, I think we've doubled in Asian cartoonists at The New Yorker in that nice. year. So there might be now like 18 or 20 cartoonists uh, nice. of various Asian <laughs> ethnicities 
represented uh, in 2021. I think it was very important to get our voice heard. Um, a lot of our colleagues showed up to the show and didn't realize there were only 10 artists yeah. uh, of Asian descent in the entire history. Um, and I think it made them see things a lot differently and, mm. uh, and recognize that we have an important voice and that some of their favorite artists are Asian cartoonists. And we got to do it in Chinatown, basically. It was fantastic. So um, we were very happy to bring that show to the New York uh, Asian community. Yay. Bravo. That's so cool. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, let me remind folks watching, I'm talking with Jeremy Nguyen. He's an illustrator and cartoonist uh, who's very witty, accessible, funny <laughs> artwork. You can see in The New Yorker, but also um, he's got a bunch of like books and merch. And um, he's starting to share his knowledge with the world. Uh, on May 20, he has a talk called, What the Fuck Do I Do to Help Artists Understand the Industry? Um, you can find Jeremy... Get more info on that event and um, check out like the cool merch that he has on his website, jeremywinslife.com. Um, as of today, what do you think like the most out there weird venue would be that you can imagine your art being in? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of interesting ideas I've had in the past. Um, when I was doing stand-up, I considered doing like a one-man show that had this high uh, visual production to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was it was never something I actually worked on, but having a, a stage production where the artwork comes to life as like a mm -hmm. pop-up book would be super interesting. Um, wow. I've always loved the idea of art integrated into public spaces. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's even that out there, to be honest. So there's so many cool ideas that are <laughs> out there. But part of me is like, I just want, like, <laughs> I just want to uh, design a lamp with my art on it. That would be cool. Like, that's crazy enough for me to be like, this is nuts. <laughs> this is this is absolutely the most bonkers thing I've done. They printed my art on a lamp. Um, like that's a dr that would be a dream come true. But uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I think it's that norm core trend that's happening. It's like as as normal as possible. Um, oh, you know what? There's that cartoon you brought up with uh, the New York. Well, the New York, uh, New York City will never die. Um, yeah. I um, I bought a, a bagel slicer that I would like to print that cartoon on. Um, so if that's weird, you know, if somebody wants to have a bagel slicer in their house with my art on it, just hanging on the wall, that would be really cool. I love it. That's so funny. Is there anything that you're working on right now that you're especially excited about? Yeah. The I mean, that you can talk about? super exciting uh, to yeah. work on. That the lecture, what the fuck do I do, is one of the things that is, you know, it's in two weeks, so it's taking over my brain. Um, yeah. And I'm going to be providing some original illustrations for that and maybe some animated GIFs uh, in that presentation. Um, cool. I've also been working on a, I don't even know if it's announced yet, but my, my friend Josh posted about it. We've made a uh, an expansion for Santa Monica, um, so yeah, we're gonna be doing some cool weekend events that take place in Santa Monica. So you'll see cards like a farmers market or nice. the Santa Monica. Uh, we call it the Santa Monica Marathonica. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just love putting all these dumb, awful pun jokes and uh, alliteration jokes every kind of wordplay jokes as I can into this game. Um, so that's something that I'm looking forward to. And yeah, yeah, there's there's plenty of projects that are coming out, but I can't talk about those. <laughs> yeah, those are exciting. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure what um, what growth looks like in your industry or, or even in your craft, but like, is, is it just about 
evolving to reflect your truest self, which is a very liberating idea? Or do you have like more concrete ideas about like how you will grow as an artist or as a cartoonist, professional cartoonist? The way you put it is perfect and eloquent. Being able to be your true self is absolutely the end goal. Um, But (laughs) I would also say that challenging yourself will help you find that true self. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's such a vague philosophy of how do you become your true self. Mm. Um, but I really enjoy the idea of growing as an artist as, you know, how can you be of service? How can mm. you uh, do more than what is in your immediate surroundings and world? It's not just about personal development. I think artistic growth is also helping others around you find their artistic growth as well. So um, as much as I love making art and making uh, art for the various uh, places that are willing to publish it, um, there is still a lot of work to do to provide art to, you know, the next generation of artists. That's so cool. I've been also mentoring some Asian American musicians who are younger than me. And um, it's the most rewarding thing. So I totally know where you're coming from. Yeah. I'm not going to have kids, so better (laughs) drop off all this knowledge. Same. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I wish I knew you better so I can ask this question a little better, but like outside of art and work, like what, What's Jeremy working on for Jeremy? You know, that's funny that you say it that way. Um, because we're so inclined to think that work is all we should do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm uh, enjoying uh, a bunch of, uh, I'm enjoying things. I'm enjoying cultivating and propagating plants. Nice. <laughs> um, my girlfriend just got a dog, so I'm enjoying raising this new puppy of hers and being a part of her life in as much a uh, way as possible. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I'm just working on myself and making sure that my bedroom and my studio is clean at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> that all my dishes are washed and put into the washing machine uh, exactly right. Um, so that they can get washed properly. Um, yeah, no, I'm just trying to learn how to be a grown up and be a human and mm-hmm. not always be thinking of cartoons and jokes mm-hmm. and uh, annoying people with my puns or smart Alec comments <laughs> everywhere <laughs> I go. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, maybe that's not my true self, but I am trying to integrate myself with. <laughs> society in a better <laughs> better way than I currently am. That's amazing. <clears throat> yeah. Um so as part of your job you have to turn around like massive quantities of work uh even if mm-hmm. most of it doesn't get published. Um Sure. Do you have a hot tip that you can share with me about how to maintain that flow of creativity and you know being consistent about being productive? Yeah, you know, I operate on a different level than some other artists might. I kind of love doing the commercial client work. It's it's fun to me to be able to take a brief and deliver work that expands on what the brief wants and also satisfies my own personal goals that I have with making art. So yeah. So I like to balance that out with my personal work. And I'm very lucky that my personal work is basically my New Yorker cartoons and the cartoons that I post on Instagram. I really like to oscillate between having the client work and then when I get tired or sick of it or bored of it, then I can go back and do Mm. New Yorker cartoons. I wouldn't say that I turn off my brain for it, but I I, I can switch to a different mindset when I'm working for somebody else and not having to have this anxiety of, am I funny enough? 
um, in the New Yorker <laughs> cartoons. Yeah, so that's like uh, always, you know, the 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 nagging thing that happens in a cartoonist's brain is, is this cartoon funny? Have I just been looking at it for too long? Can I get another set of eyes on this? Mm. And when you're sick of the rejection that comes <laughs> with not wow. being funny, then you can just focus on the art and make some pretty stuff for uh, the clients who are um, working with you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, yeah. everybody says invest. When you invest, you diversify, right? In business, <laughs> exactly. And invest. Yeah, I'm still and... Asian. I still uh, pr- I want the approval of my elders, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> so the client work is, you know, my math brain problem solving uh, to make sure that people are satisfied on the other end of uh, the finished artwork. Yeah. So. <laughs> awesome. Jeremy, thank you for spending time with me. This has been such a good, fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to talk. Really and, great. And to talk with you is, is fantastic as well. That's awesome. So I'm going to give a little outro and then I'll come back and say a proper goodbye to you. So don't hang up. Don't go anywhere. Sounds good. I'll I'll come back in a minute. (laughs) Guys, I've been chatting with Jeremy Nguyen. He is a cartoonist, illustrator, generally funny artist, man. Um, (laughs) He uh, has a talk coming on the 20th of May. And uh, you can find Jeremy, all that info, at his website, jeremywinslife.com. If you also am able, are able, to financially support me in making this very resource-intensive show, I'd appreciate it if you could buy me a coffee. You can do that at coffeewithbao.com. And um, that's it. Thank you so much for having Coffee with Bao. We'll see you next time. You want to see our beautiful mugs while we chat? Coffee with Bao is also available in video. Just search for it on YouTube and hit the subscribe button.